Would you please open your Bibles with me to the book of Acts? Yeah. All right. That was horrible. <clears throat> Let's try it again. Would you open your Bibles to the book of Acts? Yeah. All right. This series that we're in is called the Spirit-Filled Church. And uh, there are, we have two big objectives. And the first one is to learn what that meant with the idea so that we can live what it means. Very good. Last week, Dr. Vincent, my friend, walked you through the entirety of uh, chapter 16, and he did a great job. Uh, but I want to come back and just to the, to the latter portion of chapter 16 because I want us to hear some remarkable and some encouraging things about the Spirit-filled church. And uh, we'll read it in real time and respond as we go because, again, if you were here last week, you know, you, all, you kind of already know how the story ended, and if you know the Bible a little bit, you might know, and if you don't, don't worry, you'll enjoy it as we go. If it's a brand new story, I promise it's a great one. Here's the big sentence. Here's our big idea for today, the, the thought that I hope that you'll take with you is this. The Spirit-filled church sings in prison. Let's pick it up right at verse 16. We're going to go through 16 through 24 today. Right at verse 16, Luke begins, and he says, Once when we were going to the place of prayer. Hang on. Stop just a second. I haven't done a great job of this, but I want to make sure I emphasize it now. The narrative in the book of Acts is punctuated by prayer events. Prayer events punctuate they move the story along whenever the the plot shifts significantly or there's a new significant development that affects luke's whole storyline that thing is punctuated by prayer prayer moves the story in the book of acts what i want to emphasize is prayer still moves the story in the church in the book of Acts, if something meaningful happened, it's because people were praying or they had just prayed or they were fixing to pray. All the time. You can hear it. Luke, I don't, I don't know if it's just the leadership of the Holy Spirit or the intentionality of Luke, but whenever there's something significant going to shift in the story, the gospel is going to advance, there's going to be a breakthrough, something's going to happen, that thing happens around the place of prayer. And that's the way it was, that's what it meant, and that's what it means. Let us be a place and a people who know, who have confidence that if it's going to happen, it's going to happen because we're praying. That was better than your response. And I need you to believe that more deeply. If it's going to happen, it's going to happen because we are praying. Yes. But that's not even the whole story. Here we go. Once while we were going to the place of prayer, we should listen. We, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune telling she followed paul and the rest of us by the way if you're hearing that there's a the third person plural us and we that means luke has joined them in this journey now she followed paul and the rest of us shouting these men are servants of the most high god who are telling you the way to be saved she kept this up for many days part of the story somebody say many days Finally, Paul became so 
annoyed. Then he turned around and said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And at that moment, the spirit left her. So this slave girl was demonized and a fortune teller. The language in the text, as well as our, our knowledge of the history of Philippi, tell us that Luke is just telling us. He's not explaining how he knows. He is just telling us. He doesn't say it in our English version. But when he describes that spirit, he, it's, a, it's a python spirit. Remember I told you a couple of weeks ago there's going to be snakes. Okay? Snake demons. And here it is. This is a, a python spirit. It was a spirit that was attributed to by the Philippians, by the Romans. It was a spirit that was attributed to the oracle of Apollos. In other words, the, the, Luke is simply just telling the audience that this gal is demonized by a spirit that this whole region believed was the voice of the god Apollo. In other words, the, that Luke just says it as a matter of fact, that Paul is confronting, though in the, though, though a pre, see, it's the ultimate sort of, of being picked on. This, this young slave girl is literally, in, he's telling us, she is enslaved by this uh, a principality in the region. And Paul deals with that principality by the name of Jesus. One little word shall fell him. Now, before that happens, she's been following them along. She's been, and it sounds like, if you just read it, it sounds like she's helping them. Like she's part of their PR team. She's posting on Instagram, you know. Hey, hey, these, these people are servants of the Most High God, and they're here to tell you the way of salvation. It sounds like they're, she's trying to do them a favor. But there's a couple of problems with what's going on. And here's the nature of evil. It's not always uh, contrary, in your face, punch you in the face. We might expect that if it were a demon, he'd be waving in front of them saying, don't listen to them. Don't, nothing to see here. But of course, whenever people do that, that only stirs up our interest. Right, but instead of that, it's much more sly. It's much more deceptive. She says these servants are the these are servants of the Most High God. In their language, that vernacular that would have been was basically a synonymous term. She could have been referring to the God of the Jews, and she probably even they would have heard it was the same sound, the same word as if she were speaking of Zeus. Hey, these are servants of Zeus. And they're here to tell you the way of salvation. Again, it was a synonymous term. It was a vernacular for the way for, for, for salvation. In other words, it, they could have been promoting one the art, what we know as the gospel. They could have been promoting Zeus. And, in, and, allow, and, and as she's doing that, what she's, the, the effect she's having on the audience is that she is, she is co-opting the message. That spirit is co-opting the message and making it sound like what they're saying is no different than any other random pantheon message of the day. And Paul gets annoyed. Amen. <laughs> yeah, Paul gets annoyed. Probably because of that and also because we are not content to allow unholy things 
to become the medium, the messenger of holy things. We will never partner with unholy things simply to be more strategic. One writer said, as he was reflecting on this, he said, if, he said for instance, if a, if a pornographic magazine had heard about his church and thought it was great, would he allow his church to, uh, would they allow them to do a big article in their magazine about the church? Well, it might increase awareness. People might read the article. He said, of course we wouldn't do that. We wouldn't partner with something unholy. And we're just, and I, and, and, you know, hey, we use every means possible that we have. We want to be shrewd and we want to be wise, but we will not cross over a boundary where we will partner with unholy things simply to communicate a message. Well, the devil was up to this stuff. This was a demon, and Paul got annoyed. Has anybody ever found the devil annoying? Yeah. Isn't it wonderful that Paul, that it didn't say, and Paul was terrified? Listen carefully. This is the powerful demon spirit following them around, and it doesn't say that Paul grew scared that he grew superstitious. It doesn't, he didn't start carrying garlic and rabbit's feet. He got annoyed. Has anybody ever been annoyed with the devil? Listen, here, and here's what he does. He turns around and he speaks to the spirit, commanding it in the name of Jesus to come out, and it did. That is deliverance. That is exorcism. That is meaningful ministry. In one move, she was free from the demon and effectively of no more use, free from her slave masters. And listen to how he did it. He didn't turn around and yell at the girl, jump on her wrestling match. He ministered to her like he would a daughter or a sister. It's so important. We run into situations where, we, we, where people are affected, tormented, demonized, different various expressions. It will be tempting for people to treat those people like somehow they're the enemy. But neither Jesus nor his followers treated the demonized any other way than as victims. They're victims. And so he... He, he confronts the, 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 the oppressor, but he doesn't, he doesn't attack the oppressed. Powerful, wonderful. So when her slave owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, verse 19, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, these men are Jews, and they are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. Notice, how, remember Paul said they'd been doing this for many days. This gal had been following them around for a while. And all these people, they're, they, they've been hearing Paul and Silas preach and do all the things, but they had no problem with Paul and Silas until this happened. People don't mind a little bit of religion as long as it stays in its place. <laughs> So they stirred up. What do they do? They stirred up accusations and maligned them. They labeled them as troublemakers. This is pretty much standard practice ever since. Verse, 20, verse 22, the crowd joined them in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped 
and beaten with rods. We read this out loud, read it slowly. It's easy for you and I to read it in hindsight because we know the rest of the story. We know how it ends and we almost don't even feel the pain here. But listen to it again. They are stripped publicly and beaten with rods. Verse 23, after they had been severely flogged, someone say severely. This is not a slap on the wrist. After they had been severely flogged while being stripped, they, are thro- they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. Magistrates would beat and strip prisoners, and they would do so publicly. They would beat them publicly with big rods prior to a trial in order to coerce a confession out of them before trial. We know, we, we know what you've done. Whack. Admit it. Whack, whack. Beatings will continue until morale improves. And they were stripped, and they were, they were publicly stripped and beaten in, in so as to humiliate them and to discourage anyone from following their example. So then they are thrown in prison, Paul and Silas thrown in prison into an inner cell, not the outer ones, but the inner ones. The idea is Luke is telling us it would be darker, perhaps more damp, perhaps more rodent infested, much more isolated. And their feet fastened in stocks. Stocks would have been pieces of wood that were, that were, that were uh, like a clamp in such a way. They were cut and used in such a way that when, as the feet are inserted, the legs would have been uh, repositioned to be in a permanently painful place. So they're beaten, naked, and their feet are put in stocks, and they're slammed. And they're, they are chained, and they are put inside an inner cell. Put in prison. And then, in prison, they sing. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying. Did you hear that? That means something's going to happen. Something's going to happen. About midnight... And when I went to ORU, they used to sing a song, Late in the Midnight Hour, God's Gonna Turn It Around. And 4,000 ORU students, they'd sing, God's Gonna Turn It Around and Around, and the whole place would start spinning in circles. I love that place. About midnight, late in the midnight hour, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening to them. Real quick, let's recap. They're falsely accused and maligned. They're stripped and beaten publicly, placed in chains, locked in stocks. Now it's midnight, and these guys are praying and singing hymns, singing songs of praise and thanksgiving to God. And other prisoners are listening. Paul and Silas are offering prayer and praise. They are singing to the Lord in the middle of their own pain and torment. Right in the middle of their own darkness, they are filling the darkness of their prison with the light of praise. And not only for themselves, but for everybody who's listening. Everybody.
everybody who's listening, they are sharing the light that they have with others who are also in the dark. Wow. Consider what too often, often happens otherwise. When we find ourselves perhaps not even as bad off as Paul and Silas. Persecution, problems, our own pain, discomfort, frustration, challenges. And our strategy in those moments is to murmur or to complain. Or instead of sharing light, we commiserate. (laughs) But here, friends, we know this. Nothing noble ever comes from those things. Nothing exemplary ever results from those things. Nothing special happens because we've complained or commiserated or murmured. Nothing powerful ever results. We should consider what comes out of our mouth, what comes out of our life, and we should consider who's listening. Verse 26 says this, Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. All at once the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. Suddenly there's divine intervention. Suddenly there's powerful deliverance. Suddenly prison doors open and chains fall loose. Not just for them, but for everybody who is listening. Their praise not only led to their deliverance, but it led to the deliverance and the freedom of others. And all those others may not have even been singing. Listen, friends, sometimes you will lead the way. Sometimes you will be the point at the spear. Sometimes you will be the one who steps out of the boat and walks on the water. Everybody else still in the boat. But if you will step out, your stepping out, your faith can lead to breakthrough for other people. There might have been some people that said, I don't even like that song. But somebody was singing it anyway, and their faith led to breakthrough for somebody else. Whoo! Are we supposed to conclude exegetically that there is some sort of causal link between their praise to God and God's power to them? Are we supposed to conclude that this is an an intentional causal link in the story? Well, I don't know. First of all, if you think about Paul and Silas beaten, Bloody, naked, chained, stock, dark prison. To, to sing praise in that moment is the very least practical thing I could think of. It is the least relevant and the least practical thing. I just, I would almost wonder how the conversation started. Hey, should we sing? No. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> Or maybe they were both excited. Maybe it was spontaneous. We'd like to think it was just spontaneous expression. However it got there, they both were doing it. But, I mean, talk about impractical. I mean, Paul didn't turn to Silas and say, Hey, MacGyver, you got a, you got a paper clip and some chewing gum? I think we can get out of this. <laughs> right? Well, they, didn't, they didn't MacGyver their way out. They didn't negotiate. Hey, jailer, boy, we got a plan. They didn't negotiate with any. No, they didn't holler. They didn't. They didn't just make weird random noises hoping someone would let them out. I probably would have done that. <laughs> now that I think about it, hey, watch this. You want to hear the most annoying sound ever? Anyway. <laughs> but I have to also wonder, <clears throat> what if they had not been singing? 
if prayer and praise were not rising up out of their dark cell? Would that story have been different? Well, is there any record of anyone ever complaining their way out of prison? And yet, the message here is not, it's, 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 it can't be, it's not, there shouldn't be a sub, the subtitle over chapter 16 is not, here's how to get out of prison. Because this wasn't a strategy. There's no indication that they did this as a means to get out. Rather, it seems that what we're seeing is this. When it comes to the spirit-filled church, persecution cannot beat the praise out of us. And prison can't keep praise from us. The spirit-filled church sings in prison. And it may not seem practical, it may not seem relevant, but it is very special and it is very powerful. There's something special about praise in prison. Pilate, Paul and Silas, again, they didn't sing as a means to get free. They sang because they were free. They sang because the hope inside was greater than the chains outside. They didn't sing as a way to disguise their despair, but as a way to express their hope. Praise in prison, friends. Praise in the midst of pain or sorrow or persecution or frustration or brokenheartedness. This is something that we can only do on this side of heaven. It's something that we can only offer to the Lord on this side of heaven. On the other side, it will be praise for what he has done, praise for, praise for all of the victory. But on this side, the, the greater our praise in the dark, the sweeter our praise will be in the light. There is something special about praise in prison. And there's something powerful. Somebody say powerful. First of all, praise is always the right thing to do. It is always the right thing to do. Psalm 34, verse 1, King James Version says it this way, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall be in my mouth. His praise shall continually be. I was pausing to let my mom finish it. I told Saturday night that my mom would be here and she would finish that for me. Praise is also... The most powerful thing. It's always the right thing to do, and it's always powerful. Praise does not deny the existence of bars and chains. It rejects their power over us. We do not pretend away our pain. But as the psalmist says in Psalm 66, 17, he says, I cried out to the Lord for help, praising him. As I spoke, praise displaces despair. Praise displaces discouragement. Praise displaces drama. Those things cannot share the same space as praise. And if Paul and Silas can praise in prison 
then you and I can probably praise in our problem. If they can, it's prob- we're, we're probably not naked and bleeding and beaten. Even if we were, they did it. But if they can praise in their prison, we can praise in our problems and even in our pain. Not for our pain, not thanking God for our pain, please. That's not how it is, but right in here. I'm going to stand right here, and this pain may surround me, but I'm going to get my praise on. Because if their praise, if their praise changed their circumstances, if their praise changed their circumstances, then our praise certainly can't hurt ours. Our praise certainly can overcome. I can, I can lift up the voice of praise right in the middle of my, my challenge, my circumstance. I can praise God right in the middle of that thing. Praise always lifts us above our circumstance. Always. Praise fills our circumstance with an awareness of and a confidence in the goodness of God. The promises of God, the providence of God, the faithfulness of God. Praise fills our hearts, our minds, our circumstance with an awareness of Him. Psalm 103 is a great one. If you're looking for something to do, you're looking for something to hold on to. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits. Who who forgives all my sin, who heals all my diseases, who redeems my life, who pulls me out of the pit, who renews my strength. Psalm 103 says that he also that he that he separates my sin from me as far as the east is from the west. Praise begins to recount and to delineate and to declare the goodness of God, what he has done, what he's promised to do, and what he has power to do in my life. That will set you free. That will overcome. That will modify, change the climate of any circumstance. Praise is the thermostat that sets any circumstance back to faith. And that is why the Spirit-filled church sings in prison. A few years ago, Mrs. Dav and I, the church sent us down to Havana to bring money, to smuggle in money passed into that communist regime. And I love just talking about them like that. Smuggled money, passed the commies. Brought thousands of dollars from y'all, thousands of dollars from y'all to the to the to the superintendent in Havana. Gave him this cash, and we bought property in cash outright for Mission Heredad. We went there, people gathered on that property in that ghetto outside of Havana. 20,000 people in the area, not a single church, except for Mission Heredad. Had a great time. Come back. Come back. Fly out of, flew out of Havana, put Mrs. Dav on a plane in Charlotte, sent her back home. I got on another plane out of Charlotte, and I flew into Hogeen, another city in the south side of the island. I met Uncle Larry, Larry Robat. Met my Uncle Larry, not my real uncle, but it's too late to explain. Met Larry. <laughs> 
met Larry in the airport in, in the U.S. We land in Hogeen. And uh, we get off the plane, we get into the airport, and they got us. Commies. They got us. Armed guards come, grab us, set us aside, stick us in metal chairs. They got us. Suspect us for whatever. And we were, it was sobering for a minute. I didn't know what was going on. I mean, you know, guns, commies. And, uh, and, uh, uh, I don't know, how could, is, is it possible someone could be offended by this? I don't know. Anyway, uh, <laughs> hey, I like communism. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> hey, I never, I'm out of here. Um, so we're sitting there and Uncle Larry's 20 years my senior, but he was a, uh, he was a, a Hall of Fame linebacker in college. And he turns around and he looks real slow like this. That was a long, slow look at me. Stares at me, stone-faced. Just stone-faced stares at me. Guys and guns around us. And he kind of nods his head once like a guy. And he says, well, they stick us in prison. I'm singing. <laughs> and that's what I did. <laughs> and then after that, it was over. They couldn't win after that. I, we were laughing. They didn't care. They said all, they had to let us go eventually because mm, it was just a good time. But, uh, uh, but, but, uh, but here's the deal, friends. Don't wait till it's dark and your feet are in stocks to decide to praise. Your determination, your decision to praise should begin when it's light. It should be right now. Based upon who God is, what he has promised to do, I will bless the Lord at all times. I will not wait for it to be dark to decide whether I should pray. I want to decide ahead of time. But on the other hand, there may be some of us right now this morning, and you have already found yourself. It's too late to decide ahead of time. Maybe you can feel the, the weight of chains or the pain of stalks on your feet or the darkness is, is thick. Maybe the recent pain of a wound is too fresh. Hear these lyrics from the Imperials years ago, Jesus movement hippies who knew something about praise. Listen to these words. When you're up against a struggle that shatters all your dreams and your hopes have been cruelly crushed by Satan's manifested schemes and you feel the urge within you to submit to earthly fear, don't let the faith you're standing in seem to disappear. Praise the Lord. He will work through those who praise Him. Praise the Lord for our God inhabits praise. Praise the Lord for the chains that seem to bind you serve only to remind you that they drop powerless behind you when you praise Him. When you praise Him. Can I ask you to stand together this morning? I want to encourage you to set your thermostat to praise right now. No matter what's going on, set your thermostat. Let praise set that thermostat to faith. Determine that you will sing, whether you're in the palace or in the prison, the spirit-filled church sings.
super simple. Sing it again. bless you. Come on, lift up your voice and bless the Lord. Lord, we bless you. We magnify you. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and all that is within me. Lord, we praise you for your faithfulness. We praise you for every time you've been there, every time you've helped us, every time you've solved it, every time you've made a way seem to be away. Every need you have provided. Every door you have opened. Every time you've healed us. Every time you've helped us. Every time you've rescued us. Every time you've provided for us. We thank you, Lord. And we thank you for the measureless, matchless promises of God that are ours. Every single one of them are yes and amen in Jesus Christ. And we thank you for the incomparably great power that is at work within us right now. We thank you, Lord. And we give you praise in Jesus' name. Somebody said amen. Friends, God bless you. Let the praises of God be in your heart and your mouth. Where you go, we go. Be kind to somebody on your way out.